January 1st, 1929, the undefeated Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets played the University of California Golden Bears in the Rose Bowl that followed the 1928 football season. In those days, the Rose Bowl was broadcast nationally by radio. Midway through the second quarter, neither team had yet scored. Georgia Tech had the ball on their own 30-yard line, but then they fumbled. California defensive lineman Roy Regals picked up the Georgia Tech fumble, just 30 yards away from a touchdown. As Regals turned toward the goal line, two opposing players attempted to tackle him, but he bounced off of them only to lose his bearings and run the wrong way. 67 yards later, he was overtaken and turned around by one of his own players, only to be pushed back and tackled on the one-yard line by a swarm of Georgia Tech players. California had the ball, but they were only on their one-yard line. They did not want to risk a turnover, so they decided to punt. Unfortunately, the punt was blocked and turned into a safety, and Georgia Tech took a 2 to nothing lead in the game. At halftime, Regals was so distraught in the dressing room that he had to be talked into returning to the field by his coach for the second half. He said, Coach, I can't do it. I've ruined you. I've ruined myself. I've ruined the University of California. But his coach replied, Roy, get up. Get back out there. The game is only half over. Roy did play. In fact, he played a great second half in the game. The underdog California Bears played a good game. They only lost by one point to the reigning national champions. But that two-point safety was the difference. Roy. Wrong way, Regals. His wrong way run has been called the worst blunder in the history of college football. But his mistake was outweighed by a far greater example that he left for all of us, an example of perseverance. He had to come back. He had to keep going, and he did. When we feel like we've made a wrong choice, we feel like we went the wrong way in life. Perhaps we committed some sin. And we feel like we've been rendered useless to God and others. We need to remember, as long as we are still alive, the game is only half over. Jonah is a good example. Jonah had deliberately obeyed, excuse me, deliberately disobeyed God. And he reaped the results, the consequences, God's discipline. But Jonah found the road back from disobedience. And that's what we're going to look at on today's podcast. You are listening to the Shepherd's Table podcast. This is Dr. Wagoner speaking. For more information on the Shepherd's Table Ministries, you can visit shepherdstable.net. Shepherdstable.net. I hope you'll do that. But let's get back to Jonah. Yes, he had disobeyed God. God had sent the storm and found him on the sea. And at this point, he's been tossed into the sea by the sailors who have discovered that he is the reason the storm has overtaken them. Jonah's in a pretty difficult situation at this point. Going into that sea in the midst of that storm was sure death. And remember, he advised the 
sailors to throw him in. Quite heroic, actually, but he's yet to, he is yet to admit his sin. He had to find yet the road back from disobedience. So let's look at how he did that. What is it that puts someone on that road, the road back? Well, there's two decisions that need to be made that will bring a person back into a right relationship with God once again. The first decision is the decision to repent. To repent. The word repent, borrowing from a New Testament word, primarily means to change your mind about something. You see, Jonah up to this point was stubborn in his disobedience. Uh, he felt like he was right in what he was doing and that God was wrong. Jonah had to repent. Jonah's repentance was born out of the discipline of God and out of desperation. Reading in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the fish's belly. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. So Jonah here experiences repentance. A little bit late, but he did repent. Let's just notice the structure of chapter 2 before we proceed. Verse 1, as we just read, tells us that Jonah prayed while inside the fish. And Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the fish's belly. Remember that word belly in the, uh, the Hebrew just simply means inside the fish. Now, verses 2 to 9, which follow, give us the content of that prayer, that which he prayed while he was inside the fish. It is a poetic rendition or a poetic structure. It was obviously penned by Jonah after he was finally spit out and had the opportunity to write, of course, writing under the inspiration of God. Verse 10 then records Jonah's, or excuse me, I should say the Lord's response to Jonah's prayer. Verse 10 says, so the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out onto the dry land. But let's go back to verse 2. In verse 2, it says, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. That particular prayer came before he was in the fish. The prayer he prayed when he was in the fish recognizes what he had already done previously, a previous prayer. He cried out to the Lord because of his affliction. And then he describes his affliction. He says, out of the belly of Sheol I cried, or from the place of the dead I cried. And you, you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the floods surrounded me, and your billow, billows and your waves passed over me. And I have said, I've been cast out of your sight, and I will look again unto your holy temple. So he's describing here, as he prayed the second prayer inside the fish, what had happened already and previous to his being swallowed. But when he first hit the water, he knew he was a dead man. He, he, he cried out to God in desperation. Now, Jonah could have cried out to God a lot sooner, but he did not. He had every opportunity. But he stubbornly did not confess to God uh, earlier when confronted by the sailors. He was even willing to die rather than confess his sin when he told the sailors, well, just throw me into the, the sea. And remember, the sailors stopped and prayed to God that God wouldn't hold him responsible for doing that. But there's no record of Jonah praying, confessing any sin to God here, even though he admitted what he had done to the sailors. Ironically, as I mentioned, the sailors ended up praying to God and eventually worshiping God, but Jonah had not. 
But when he hits that water in the midst of that storm, he prays out of pure desperation as he's about to lose his life. I can compare this to something that happened to me many, many years ago when I was first married. I was in seminary my first year, and my wife and all my wife and I came home for some holiday to visit. We were at her parents' house. They lived high on a mountain there in West Virginia. Father-in-law did a lot of farming as well as a lot of work in the oil and gas fields. But uh, it was a very rural setting. In fact, they lived on a top of a hill or a mountain that uh, you could see in every direction. Well, on a previous visit home, I had accompanied my father-in-law to take his pickup truck full of household refuse to the private garbage dump, which there was no public surface, obviously, there. So there was a designated place on his property to take it and dump it and burn it and so forth. So on this particular trip home, I noticed his pickup truck was full of household garbage and and he was off working. So I thought, well, I would be a good son-in-law and I would take it to the dump. So I jump in his truck and I go down the road. Now it was wintertime. The roads weren't bad, not the main roads. But when I got to the place where you pull through the gate and head down over the hill to the place where he dumped everything, uh, the conditions to the unpaved road soon got very tricky. Well, I made it down all right. I, I emptied the truck, but now with the uh, snow falling and the road wet and muddy, I had to take his pickup truck, which I think was pretty much a new pickup. I had to drive it back up that hill. And I was all over that road, slipping and sliding and spinning. And I, I had uh, sheer panic in my soul that I was going to run my father-in-law's new pickup over the hill and total it. Well, I did make it up by God's help, but all the way up that hill, I prayed. And now I didn't stop and pray any formal prayer. I talked to God like he was sitting in the seat next to me, and I talked to him out of pure desperation, simply praying, Lord, help me get up this hill. Lord, please don't let me wreck this truck. Please don't let me run this truck over the hill. It was a prayer of desperation. That that uh, in a hundred times magnified is what Jonah was doing here. And it was God's discipline he was experiencing. And, and now he be- turns to God out of sheer desperation as he experiences that discipline. So his decision to repent, many had to change his mind about obeying God. For the first time, he entertains the thought, of, you know, uh, I disobeyed and I shouldn't have done this. And I need to turn to God. He's my only hope. So this desperate prayer of Jonah's led to his repentance, or it might have even embodied it at that moment. Before this, he was mentally and emotionally detached from God and from reality and from his disobedience. But now faced with his own demise, he remembers God. Well, we see that in verse 7 when he says, when my soul fainted within me, he's still talking about when he was in the sea. He says, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer went up to you into your holy temple, he says. Now, Jonah repented, changed his mind at this point. He, he quit running from God. He quit disobeying God. He, he quit questioning God. He was ready to turn a new leaf, so to speak. I don't think that he even probably he even considered the fact of what would lie ahead. But uh, he was willing to admit he was wrong at this point. So there's a decision to repent that comes first in this road back from disobedience. But there's a second decision that must be made. And that decision is the decision to submit 
to repent, first of all, change your mind about the way you're going, realize you're wrong. Secondly, to submit to God and to accept his will as way the way you should live and what you should do. So the decision that to submit that Jonah made is clearly identified in verses 8 and 9. Right after saying that he remembered God in verse 7, it says, those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. Well, that's a kind of an unusual verse to find here, but Jonah is simply saying that in contrast to those who worshipped idols and they moved from one idol to the next, maybe depending on where they were at or what they thought was uh, a good response from that idol in the past, that Jonah, he's, he's simply saying, I didn't have anywhere else to go. There's only one God. He, he knew that. Jonah's theology was sound. Uh, worthless idols, uh, they, they for, they're forsaken all the time by people. But he says, here's the contrast in verse 9. Remember, this is poetical, and uh, he, he's offering a contrast here. He says, but I will sacrifice to you. And he's speaking to God. I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving, and I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So. Jonah here confesses his sin to God. How do we know that? Well, he says that, uh, he says in verse 9, I will sacrifice with the voice of thanksgiving. And then the latter part of verse 9, I will pay what I have vowed. Uh, So Jonah here has come to to the point of confessing his sin. And uh, at least in his mind, he intends to offer, if, if spared, a sacrifice to God. A, a sin offering, if you will, no doubt. And it would be accompanied by a vow that he would obey God in the future if God gave him that opportunity. It was at this point that we come to verse 10 where it says, And the Lord spoke to the fish and vomited Jonah out on the dry land. So these are the two decisions that must be made by any of us when we find ourselves going the wrong way. The decision to repent, change our mind, submit to God on the second, uh, in the second case, the decision to repent, then the decision to submit to God's will in the future. And uh, Jonah did both. It's recorded here in chapter two. Jonah wrote this down afterwards, some point when he wrote this book. Now, there are some folks who feel like that Jonah actually died inside the belly of a whale or a fish or whatever it was, uh, because it says he cried out of the belly of Sheol in uh, verse 2, and uh, he mentions the pit down in verse 6, and then you have the comparison to the three days and three nights before he spit out, like Jesus was three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, or in the grave. And and the Lord even mentions this in, in the New Testament. But Jonah here is what you call a type. He doesn't necessarily require that we interpret that he died. In fact, if he died, how could he have prayed that prayer? in the belly of the fish. So I don't think he died. I think he, he was as good as dead in his own mind. And until that fish spit him out, he was, he was given over to the realization he was a dead man unless God did something miraculous, but God did. Now, Joni ended up where he was at by, because of his own poor decisions, which reminds me of a, a story I read many years ago. I still remember it. It seems a young executive asked his boss on one particular occasion what he had to do as a young man in business to be successful, to which the 
boss, the elderly gentleman replied with two words. He said this. He said, good decisions. Well, the young man didn't quite know where to go from there. So he said this. He said, well, well, how do I make good decisions? Again, the elderly gentleman said this. And again, it's a very short to the point reply. He simply gave him one word, experience. How do I make good decisions? He had his boss said experience. Well, again, the younger man was a little bit confused and he had another question. He said, well, how, how do I get experience? To which his boss replied with two words, bad decisions. Well, we all make bad decisions from time to time, just like Jonah did. However, the key to riding the ship is always before us, and that's good decisions, not bad decisions. That means we have to leave our disobedience behind, repent of it, change our mind about it, learn from our poor decisions, and get back on the road to an obedient life. We do that by doing what the Apostle John told us in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. And he's talking to Christians here, people that already believe, as Jonah was a believer, that have erred in their living and, and have failed to obey God. So 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he, meaning God, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's look at this. He says, John writes, if we confess our sins, now the word confess literally means to agree with God, to agree with somebody when we confess. That's the meaning of the Greek word. So this is what Jonah had to do. He had to agree that God was right and he was wrong. That's what we have to do when we confess sin. God already knows what our sins are. We don't have to inform him of them, but we have to change our mind about them. We have to confess them to him. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Now, he's already forgiven us in regard to our eternal destiny. Once a person is saved and forgiven of sin by placing their faith in Christ, uh, they are no longer uh, subject to the uh, punishment for sin, which ultimately would be hell. But just like Jonah, we do bring about God's discipline in our life. And God's discipline is sent that he might correct our behavior. And for God to uh, cease his discipline, which may or may not be falling upon us, depending on how quickly we confess our sins, our confession will, of course, alleviate the discipline there that is there for correction. That discipline might be health problems, financial problems, or any number of issues uh, that we could be experiencing, probably not as severe as what Jonah endured, but something. So if we agree with God, we're wrong. God has already died for those sins. So John says he is faithful and just. Well, he's faithful. He's always going to forgive us at that point. He's always going to restore us to his uh, good graces at that point. He's only been trying to correct us, and he's achieved that, so why wouldn't he? And he's faithful to do that. But John says he is faithful and just, and that means that God can justly do that because Jesus Christ already paid for those sins, and thank the Lord for that. Those sins are paid for, and uh, we're not going to suffer punishment for them, but we will suffer discipline because that discipline is sent to correct us, and God because their sins have already been punished in Christ, uh, is just in forgiving us at that point and restoring us unto his 
fellowship and his good graces. So when you find yourself going the wrong way, there is a road back. If you can just get past the obstacles that are in your own mind, the stubbornness, the unwillingness to admit you're wrong, your anger toward God because of something that you didn't think you deserved or should not have experienced, whatever the case is. Remember, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is a road back, and I hope, I sincerely hope that you will take that road if you're in a situation similar to Jonah's. And if not, remember, you could be. So every sin we commit, and, and we, we commit enough of them, even though we're born again, those of us that know God, even though we have to confess quite often, it's necessary because we're fallen creatures and will be until the Lord comes back. We have to just keep repenting, submitting, confessing our sins to God because the game's only half over. God bless you. Thank you for tuning in to the Shepherd's Table podcast. This is Dr. Wagner. I hope you'll come back and visit with me again sometime. If you're interested in the Shepherd Table's ministries, you'll find information at the Shepherd's Table. Actually, it's not the, it's just simply shepherdstable.net. So I hope you'll turn there and you'll learn a little bit more about what I do. And thank you for being with us. God bless.